Hello, today I'm back at it with an important topic that should be front and center at all times, cybersecurity. However, before we get any further, just to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Cloud Wars Expo. This event is running June 28th to 30th at Moscone Center in San Francisco, California. Now I'll be there alongside of Bob Evans, founder of Cloud Wars and the rest of my acceleration economy analyst colleagues. Also to note, something special here on day one of the event, we will feature a cybersecurity battleground live. So if you want more details, go to cloudwarsexpo.com to learn more and join me there. All right, cyber attacks, they continue to increase in volume and sophistication, but what are some of the best ways to help be prepared? How can we develop a cybersecurity mindset from the C-suite on through the rest of the organization? Well, to help me answer some of these questions, I'm joined by Robert Wood. Rob is the Chief Information Security Officer for Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, a fellow Acceleration Economy Analyst, and co-host of Cybersecurity as Enabler channel. Also, he'll be a speaker at the upcoming Cloud Wars Expo event that I just mentioned. So stay tuned and learn more about cybersecurity. Well, hey, Rob, it's a pleasure to, to finally have you on the podcast show. Thank you for being with me today and uh, diving into something that you know inside and out <laughs> is cybersecurity in one way or another because you've kind of lived it and breathed it and <laughs> with your experience. But uh, hey, before we dive into the discussion today, I just wonder if you just kind of briefly introduce yourself to the listeners and kind of bring us up to speed and, and what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Robert Wood. I go by Rob. I'm the CISO at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and I am one of the analysts uh, with the Acceleration Economy. And I've been I've been in the field for a while, doing all number of things, working with startups and consulting, and um, you know, helping helping big tech companies, big banks, and and smaller companies, uh, you know, build build security programs. Yeah, so pretty much everything in between. So, like I said, you've probably been there, done that, got the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah no it's been fun <laughs> yeah well thanks again like i said thanks for joining me on the on the show today but uh i i just want to dive right in because one thing yeah. that uh, i know has been top of mind for a lot of people organizations uh and grabbing a lot of headlines is security uh for one many different reasons i should say i should say uh whether it be you know breaches uh, cyber attacks uh we're seeing it, you know, when the headlines with this ongoing um, uh, things between Russia and Ukraine, because they're not only a physical uh, battle happening, there's a cyber battle happening as well. Um, uh, so obviously security is a big, big topic for, for folks. And you recently wrote a great piece around the importance of security teams, you know, bringing to the forefront the value that security can bring for businesses. Um, cause a lot of times they're looked at as like a cost center, if you will, and not really bringing in value to the organization, uh, in any way. And I was wondering is if, are you seeing this as kind of a challenge, a big challenge for security teams to do is to build out and, and, and address, you know, here's what our, what the value we bring to the organization, cause every organization or industry is different. Uh, so security things that are in place could be obviously different, um, but 
could they be more proactive in you know showcasing their value they bring? Is is this a struggle that you're seeing? Yeah, I absolutely think so. So part of it is an issue of communication. Hmm. Security teams, uh, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of security folks who feel that you know we're we're doing this thing to protect the business. And people should just get that. They should just embrace that and appreciate that, and you know, not give us not give us so much, uh, you know, such a hard time about it. Right. And uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, security teams do a lot of different stuff. There's there's protecting things. There's there's monitoring. There's responding to mm-hmm. incidents. There's writing policy. There's um, you know, going through compliance activities to to help manage perceived risk and there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different stuff that security teams do that oftentimes just kind of happens in the you know with, without anybody really knowing about it unless you're directly involved and so a big part of that that value story comes down to the way that security teams or security leaders communicate that to others within their organizations but then I think thinking beyond that, Security teams also need to embrace like what is the thing that their organization does? Like how does their organization provide value for its stakeholders? Maybe it's selling things, you know, selling products, selling services, um, you know, uh, solving problems for for uh, uh, for for a stakeholder. You know, in, in government in the in the government world, you, you're like CMS is is providing uh, uh, healthcare payments. Um, like we're a health payer and similar to your, your Aetna's or your Blue Cross, Blue Shield, et cetera. And so, so with all of that said, like you have to understand how your organization provides value. And then if there's a part of that, that security can impact positive or negative. So uh, um, like, let's say if the confidentiality or integrity violations of data or of people, uh, you know, unauthorized actors getting into something and, and um, you know, causing a service to go down or, or what have you would impede value delivery or value capture for stakeholders, then that's, a, that's something that a security team should, should be thinking about and embracing. Um, like it's a frame of mind change. Well, I was going to say interject here and those actors can, are both internal and external. Because if you're yeah, going for to sure, adopt for sure. a, a zero um, trust mindset, you've got to be aware of, you can't just say, oh, yeah, you know, Joe Schmo has been with us for 10 years. He's a good guy. We can trust him with stuff. You, you can't have that yeah. mindset, you know, it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, things can happen. A wrong click of something can result in like what you said, it can impact on uh, the downstream of delivering value to customers whether it be services or products or something because of one bad thing. So, that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I was going to say that um, mm-hmm. right, right after it was, uh, you know, there's, there's even threats that are unintentional, you know, coming from people who are not malicious. And it, like mm-hmm. to use a very practical example here or a specific example. So oftentimes in, com- in various compliance frameworks, most security teams are involved with compliance in some form or fashion. And typically inside of those compliance frameworks, you're doing some kind of like tabletop exercise or disaster recovery, business continuity, sort of planning work, et cetera. And it's typically a pain in the butt. Um, You know, like people don't really embrace it. It's just something to get through and get by. 
Um, and so, you know, in, in those same organizations, you know, using a hypothetical example, what if somebody messes up a deployment or what if a critical service goes down? Um, and then for whatever reason, the organization is unable to function, people are not productive or whatever, you know, whatever the case is, value is value delivery is impeded. Now, you can start to draw these, you know, draw a line between these two things and say, like, if we do better at this compliance activity that everyone is typically annoyed by, these are the kinds of things that we can help address and get in front of. And here's why it matters, because if that, you know, if something bad happens there, you know, this, like this compliance activity, we have this like general sort of uh, thing to work, thing that we can work through instead of just phoning it in and doing it, we can do it with this frame, you know, with this, this, uh, this sort of perspective in mind. And, um, and these are the kind of scenarios that we're helping to alleviate for the organization. And you can apply that same kind of thinking to a lot of different, you know, things in compliance. Right. I was, I was going to ask, uh, you know, we talked about the challenge of security teams to, to define this value. Do you find it, after what you've mentioned, a, a lot of, uh, you know, this scenario, this, these, uh, you know, hypothetical scenarios, are you finding it tough uh, for security teams to, to outline that without getting too technical? Because a lot of times when you're talking mm -hmm. to certain stakeholders, you know, and it's technology involved, a lot of times it's, it's, it's hard to avoid getting way down in the weeds with certain things. And you got to realize the audience that you're addressing things with as far as the message that we talked about. Right, right. Uh, so if it's these certain kind of stakeholders, are you finding security teams are having a tough time addressing certain stakeholders without getting too down in the technical weeds because otherwise it'll just go over their head yeah. and they won't get the importance. I think it depends on the, it depends on the importance and it depends on the team. Like everyone is, uh, I mean, cause, cause doing that, like making that translation is a skill in and of itself. So um, like I have a pretty technical background and I end up having very technical and very non-technical conversations throughout each day and being able to kind of switch context, like it requires and required a lot of practice. Like I used to be terrible at it and I still have a lot of room to grow in it. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect. And, and so like, but, but, you know, you, you hit on a really important point and that doubles back to uh, like everything I, I mentioned at the beginning of this is like a lot of this boils down to the way the security teams communicate. Like you can't just make the assumption that everyone knows that we're providing value because the finance team could make that same case. HR team yeah. could make that same case. Mm -hmm. And yet oftentimes they also get looked at as, you know, these kind of cost centers, but their fields are more established and they're probably mm -hmm. a little bit more visible. And, and relatable in some ways, mm -hmm. um, because people can understand that they need money. They can understand that organizations need people to operate. Um, yet cybersecurity is complicated. It's, it's a little mysterious. It's, uh, it's new. And, mm -hmm. and so the impetus then falls on us. You know, we can only influence and change us. We can't, you know, we can only influence other people. We can't directly change or think for them. And well, so I was going to say, I like, I like what you mentioned of the new, what, what strikes me really as new is security technically has been around since, you know, <laughs> computer age started and databases came up and, you know, sure, we had yeah. to wrap some sort of security around, but I think the newness factor is that a lot of people always thought of the cybersecurity as that, well, that's an IT thing or, or, you know, an IT group thing. And yeah. we, 
they handle that and we kind of do our thing over here. Whereas the newness factor should be cybersecurity should be a foundational thing that's discussed at all levels. Uh, you know, C-suite. Yeah, or it's integrated all into all these different parts of the organization. Exactly. Like even sales, for example. Mm -hmm. Like you can't do sales in a B2B organization without thinking about security because mm -hmm. somebody else at the other organization, your customer is thinking about it and they're going to ask mm -hmm. you about it. And so you got to be, yeah. you know, you have to have a, a headspace about it. And like, that's mm -hmm. another sort of perfect example of where security teams can add value is helping out with the sales process. Yeah. Well, and a part of these processes and something you pointed out in a, Another one of your great pieces was uh, there are a lot of tools that are used by security that are part of this process, you know, tools, yeah. scan networks, code, open source things. I mean, <laughs> obviously we've talked about log4j before, <laughs> open source there, databases, right. uh, you know, now we're, we're dealing with, you know, multi-cloud, hybrid environments, things like that have to be considered across the whole infrastructure and ecosystem of organizations. But after some, at some point, you know, security folks are going to get feel overwhelmed with things you know there's got to be this balance between really staying on top of things and keeping things secure and then a multitude of alerts and tools and everything that you've got to use for monitoring and and uh, you know so it's it's almost like a case of you can't see the forest for the trees or you know the old cliche saying um yeah so i'm wondering you know what's your thoughts around how can security teams balance that um between this overload of tools and alerts and really staying on top of what they need to stay on top of. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of, uh, of this model that a gentleman, uh, I believe he's a Harvard uh, Business School professor, uh, Michael Tushman, ended up introducing a number of years ago called uh, the ambidextrous organization. And the idea is that you have two kind of, uh, two headspaces around how you do work. You have this exploit, uh, which sounds like a negative thing, but the, basically the, the side of your organization uh, or the side of your time spent within an organization where you're just extracting value from like operations things. You're, you're keeping the train on the tracks and you're just extracting value. Um, and then you have this other more innovative side of things where you're exploring new ways to add value. Um, you know, you're not just trying to like get a bigger piece of the pie. You might be looking for new pies to, uh, to, to sort of, consume or whatever. And, and so, and something that's happening in the explore camp can become part of the extract camp over time. And then the, the sort of loop continues. Mm -hmm. And, and so there should always be this dynamic of explore and extract happening, but then also, so, so something, um, so Neil Yu, who's a, a CISO over at Jupiter one right now, he, he has done this, uh, done a lot of work on this thing called the cyber defense matrix, which I'm a, I'm a big, like, I'm personally a big fan of. And the idea is it's basically just the NIST cybersecurity framework. So identify, protect, detect, respond, and uh, recover, and, and then different asset classes. So when, when I use this in an operational sense, like when I actually apply it, I expand the asset classes to be a little bit more uh, purposeful for me. So instead of just saying like applications, I would specify like SAS and pass applications, custom written applications, COTS applications, um, you know, networks. I might have like cloud IaaS or on-prem data centers, you know, devices might be like mobile, BYOD, laptops, servers. It's yeah. like, you know, I try to make it a little bit more descriptive um, because different tools cover different things. And 
something that I have uh, that I've done in my last couple of roles is basically taking all the different tools that we use as a uh, as an organization as a team and just plot them out on this on this matrix um, and it becomes very uh, easy to see when you have a gap um, in the matrix um, okay. like a gap in coverage or when you have redundancies where you have like four things covering the same square and it's like well Unless, you know, it, like this is a certain perspective. This is kind of like a 30,000 foot view of your, your portfolio, mm -hmm. but it does allow you the opportunity to, to start to drill deeply into areas where you either have gaps or where you have redundancies and you can find, um, uh, you, you know, you can just start asking yourself, like, do we need coverage there? Like how, is, how important is it that we have coverage there? Or are these redundancies real or are they you know are these like things complementary within that particular square and because both might actually be true um for for different scenarios right so um but but having a structured and you know you don't have to necessarily use that framework but having a structured way to look at your portfolio is really important um in my opinion because otherwise you know, like every vendor is going to tell you that everything that they're doing is unique. And so you just right. get that story 10,000 times. And right. like, and then you think that you have this big portfolio of unique solutions and there, you don't have like a cohesive integrated story across, mm -hmm. um, across your stuff. That. hopefully we can edit that little yeah we can out. edit that out no worries uh my kids are on <laughs> spring break so if you hear noise behind me you know why but <laughs> i totally get it but uh yeah so i am i like that the, the the fact that you've got this matrix because it allows you to in my mind it's allowing you to zoom in and zoom out depending yep. on the need when and i i like that because not only is it the gaps here but you can also look at it from a cost perspective too because for example, if you got redundancies, why are we paying for four different things that do the same thing? Oh, can oh, we drop, good. you know, can we drop two of them because two of them need are needed for, you know, looking at maybe one does mobile device management security and the other one's for laptop security or something, you know, if we're talking yep. about different yeah. assets. So for example. like we did a budget exercise recently where we like took mm -hmm. our entire budget, services, technologies, et cetera, and we put it up on this matrix of like, mm -hmm. and we and we just did it by the um by the the columns you know, okay. identify, protect, detect, respond, mm -hmm. recover. And like, where are we actually spending, you know, the most of our money mm -hmm. or the bulk of our money? And, uh, and we found like we were over optimized in certain ways. Uh, like we had an expectation that we were, mm -hmm. let's say over here and we actually, you know, we're spending more over here oh, yeah. and um, that, you know, that's interesting. And so, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that we have to course correct and change things right away. Right. But it does get you thinking more critically and in a structured way about your budget, which is important. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> something I got to ask, you know, with the with uh, the volumes of cyber attacks and threats happening like like mad. I just came across the stat, uh, you know, uh, by some estimates that they're seeing uh, nine, about over 900 uh, cyber attacks weekly per organization um just that's just an average you know 
some are way more, some are under, depending on the industries and whatnot. But at any rate, that's a high number, uh, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And not any one person or a team of people can catch everything, keeping their eyeballs all the time, 24-7. So that, this is where I'm seeing a lot of AI and machine learning tools coming in to really help play a role um, and complementing cybersecurity efforts uh, in some ways, you know, other it, and what I mean, uh, in, in some ways is that <laughs> bad actors are also using AI for to creating, you know, newer cyber threats and attacks and so forth. But on the more proactive side, uh, for those trying, of us trying to mitigate these risks or, uh, you know, uh, address them in some way, AI is becoming very helpful to help uh, become more proactive and understanding the data and where we need to harden security in certain ways and and adjust in other ways. Uh, so it's kind of like sure. this catch twenty two. Get your bad actors using AI, but we got to also be proactive using AI. Um, do you see AI becoming more and more of a, a helpful tool in in cybersecurity? Yeah, I do. Um... I see it becoming more widely deployed, not in the not in the specific ways that it started. So it started very heavily oriented uh, towards like alert detection and and mm -hmm. things like that. And that's that's interesting, right? It, like making sure that you're uh, that you're like triaging the right alerts and and you know bringing the right things to the top of the uh, the analysts sort of uh, field of view and getting to respond to stuff uh, quickly. Like that's good. And then you couple that with, you know, SOAR and, and uh, you know, um, uh, like incident orchestration and whatnot. And like that's, and, and tool integrations. And then like, you can have a very efficient security operations center. Great. Um, but I, there's a lot of other stuff that happens in a security program that is not that. Um, and so, you know, other things like, um, being able to synthesize high quality threat intelligence without paying for these just obnoxious feeds that come out of big companies. Like that's interesting. Um, you know, like basically data mining stuff off of, you know, open source intelligence, dark web, you know, social media, et cetera, synthesizing that into, you know, some kind of aggregate view and, and then applying it, like feeding it into your sock, you know, that might be something. Um, you know, there's some really cool work being done on like code analysis to identify vulnerabilities, uh, with a higher, um, like higher confidence level. Like that's, that's interesting. Um, I think it was Bishop Fox did some, did some cool research that they, uh, released at DEF CON a few years ago around, uh, uh, like a self-learning, it was a, a, a deep neural network, a very simple one that just did uh, blind SQL injection and it basically like trained itself to right. do fault injection, but it taught itself how to do a blind SQL injection against some, you know, like given uh, URL. And like, that's really interesting. And like, you could see, like you could take something like that and expand it to other vulnerability classes, um, you know, and, and like that would allow an organization to, uh, to do dynamic analysis at scale um, without just throwing more and more insane amounts of money at, um, you know, these, these commercial tools where the, uh, the viability of them is iffy. Right. But, and one thing I, I came across is kind of a newer in the AI world is synthetic data. Um, hmm. and I don't know if you've seen this, it's, it's 
instead of extrapolating data from sort of real world scenarios or real things out in our real world or interactions of people with machines, uh, it's it's creating uh, the synthetic data. For example, like um, uh, driverless cars on virtual streets are generating uh, synthetic data to learn how you know these you know self-driving cars can navigate given certain scenarios you know uh, on virtual streets versus the overhead if you think about it of taking a real car out on a real street and the potential risks thereof of other cars pedestrians things like that yeah um so it's creating this whole new data model uh from this uh, which is synthetic data and i can see that being applicable inside of the cybersecurity where it's it's generating synthetic data around these what if scenarios you know to help um you know based on historical data but it's creating newer models to say should we look at these certain you know threat risks and things like that off of synthetic data and also it could help you know lower costs uh, over there versus having to manually spin up something test it out and pull in like you said open source data to consume it and then make sense of it and and then turn it into some sort of cybersecurity scenario that you can then test against. So I can see some applicability there that could really help. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it would like, it boils down to in many ways, like decision support, um, mm. you know, and, and like we get decision support in a lot of different ways in cybersecurity right now. And you, you know, you might have like a, like a red team that helps you like, you know, break apart decisions or think about them from different perspectives. You might get, you know, industry analysts, you might get, um, you know, threat and tell like you, you get all of these different inputs to help you make good decisions as a security team. Um, and I think this is one, uh, novel slash interesting way of, you know, like, uh, further enhancing that. Well, and then speaking of enhancing things, uh, very recently, uh, president Biden released a statement around nation cybersecurity. And um, I'll, I'll have a link to this in the uh, show notes of this episode. But uh, in one one interesting segment there, he, he called for, and I think it's been, it's been out there for a while, but he's put emphasis on this as a, as a better collaboration between the federal government and private sector, critical infrastructure owners, uh, operators, and they must accelerate their efforts to lock their digital doors, basically. Uh, now, for many of us, you know, this is kind of a given where we, we'd love to see this stronger collaboration between public, private sectors and so forth. But uh, what was your take on this uh, statement that was released? It, was, it wasn't very long, but it was just uh, something I think it was just out there to emphasize the ongoing efforts of the government to try to uh, uh, harden security in light of a lot of things. Obviously, I think as a result of what was happening between the Russian Ukraine conflict, um, but uh, even more so just the continued volume of, of cyber attacks uh, globally. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love to see the emphasis in between public and private sector. Uh, it's definitely not new. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been talking about that as an industry for a while. Mm -hmm. The, <clears throat> I mean, a, a, a big part of this, uh, our, our sort of work, our collective work here on, on working better together and, um, uh, you know, like hardening and, and, and managing our collective risk, if you will, is we have to just keep talking about it. Like, you know, we can't just 
Um, like I'm, I am glad to see, uh, you know, multiple administrations, like not just put out a single thing on like, here's what we're doing on cybersecurity and then like never talking about it again. Um, you know, cause a CISO, you know, just like looking internally at, a at an organization, if a CISO just, you know, made one big grand statement and then never talked about something again, you know, it, nothing would happen. Um, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, maintaining people's focus and like, you know, where your action goes, where your attention goes. And, and so this like sort of like beating the drum steadily on here's what we need to do. You know, here's some things that we can do like that, that gets people in government talking, gets people in the private sector talking, uh, you know, even amongst themselves. And then eventually like, you know, things might happen on account of that. Um, like people might end up in conversations at a conference, um, you know, some specific things happen or what have you. So you, you mentioned that steady beating of the drum of that message. I think it, it, at first it's just a sort of a one-time thing. It also creates an awareness that, that, Hey, they're, this is kind of an important thing. They're, they're reemphasizing this over and over. It's not just something they yeah. released to say, Hey, yeah, we're, we're doing X, Y, Z on security and what have you. Okay. It's a one-time statement, but are you really doing something, you know, as you, as a continual focus um, on these things. So I am glad to, to see this continued focus. They've had several uh, cybersecurity uh, announcements and release releases over the past, gosh, it seems like just the past few months here, we've seen several come out in one yeah. way or another. Um, which is, which is great. I think it's a great, yeah, and that's just the see. stuff that's big in public. I mean, you know, exactly. there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is behind, like behind the, uh, you know, the public walls that are, mm -hmm. um, you know, like DHS and CISA are, are spearheading a ton of things with all the cabinet level agencies. And it's like, and it's great. Like there's a lot of energy around it right now. Yeah. Well, uh, Hey, it looks like we're winding up on time, Rob. Like it's been <laughs> a lot more time chatting with you about all kinds of things. But uh, I was wondering, as we kind of wrap things up here, if you had a couple of little takeaways for folks, uh, listeners to really, really think about cybersecurity and, and, you know, thinking back a lot of the stuff we just chatted about and what, what, what would you do is kind of challenging them or asking themselves some things uh, as a takeaway here. Yeah. So two, two things. Um, first is, I think it's really important that everyone in security really, and, and this is not just like for the security leadership, but you know, everyone in security uh, be thinking about really critically thinking about value um, and like what value they bring to an organization, not just to this, their, their team that they're on, but to the organization. Like, what is the thing that I do um, that, that, that is adding value? It's kind of, um, it, it, a little bit cheesy, um, but I'm going to use it anyways. The um, I think it was uh, JFK in uh, the context of the space program, you know, was asking different people around, uh, you know, what is it that they are doing at this particular NASA facility? And a janitor said, like, I'm helping putting some, you know, put somebody on the moon. Um, and, you know, by, by helping keep the floors clean and keep things, uh, you know, in working order, et cetera. And, you know, they, they could have responded very differently with, you know, the sort of check the box approach. And I think it's like, there's a, there's a definite frame of mind shift there where like you are contributing to something else happening within your organization. And, you know, not everyone's going to, you know, really truly embrace the idea of being at their organization to 
advance a mission. Like some people are there just, you know, they're, they're collecting a paycheck and whatever, and that's, you know, to each their own. But for those that are really like plugged in and wanted, you know, want to move, move the needle at their, at their respective places of business. Um, you know, like you, I think it's worth spending the time to think critically about where and how your organization creates value and then how you contribute to it and how your role contributes to it. Cause I think it'll change the way that you do work. Um, and then, you know, how your team does work and then, um, and then separately, <clears throat> I'm tempted to talk a little bit more about the, the tool usage, but I'm going to instead, um, focus on the, uh, focus on the AI machine learning sort of prospect. So I think it's really easy to get sucked into the potential blinky lights of AI machine learning and, and, you know, big data and all that stuff before you do any of that, um, as an organization, it's really important that you have a good data strategy in place. Like you have, you have the right tools and ecosystem sort of set up to, uh, to, to collect and manage and access and analyze and model your security data or whatever data that you might do some kind of exploration um, with, you know, through machine learning, artificial intelligence on. And so, you know, do the foundational work on your data, make sure your data isn't just like this siloed off thing that only gets touched by, you know, Joe over here, um, because it's security data and it's scary and it's sensitive. Like you have to, like, you've got to almost like be thinking about yourself, yourselves and your team as a, as a data team and AI machine learning is a sort of function of a data team. Like that's how like marketers who are beginning to embrace machine learning based, like, uh, like ad optimization models and like, um, you know, what, like how to communicate, when to communicate to optimize on when somebody's going to make a sale of something, uh, like in the e-commerce world or, or for, um, uh, to, to like generate uh, subscribers and stuff like that stuff happens. And those, those marketers are turning themselves into, you know, not just marketers, but like data, uh, data folks. Um, and that, and it's a, it's a mindset shift. And so the, you know, if you are sort of trending in that direction, like getting the skills and, and like really thinking about yourselves as security, as a data team is really, really foundationally important. I like that. I like that takeaway uh, there about the data component, because uh, Obviously, data is now the foundation of all we do and got to secure. It's a, it's a valuable asset that a lot of organizations are actually insuring, uh, you know, because it's it's the core part of their, you know, intellectual property or <laughs> something they're building out or developing. So, yeah, protecting that data is, is, is crucial. But having teams that have that mindset, well, that's something different. And I liked how you mentioned back to the... Uh, what am I doing to add value as a person, as a team? But I was also thinking broader as the collective, because I've seen a lot of organizations that are banding together to share sort of yeah, uh, that's a great security, uh, sort of like a security community is, as you mentioned, moving that needle in the right direction uh, as we're all trying to combat, you know, the bad actors that are out there and the threats. Uh, so even not just myself and my team and my organization, but that's broader community that's trying to protect everyone in some fashion, you know, depending on maybe you're in a certain industry community. 
that we can all do our parts in that effort. That's a great point. Um, like I, I'm going to plug a, a company here, a segment um, mm-hmm. who got acquired by Twilio um, recently, semi-recently. Um, mm-hmm. They do a great job at this, for example, like their, mm-hmm. their security team is always out there, like on the conference circuit, putting stuff out there, open source, like put, just releasing their stuff. Cause they're like, we think this was valuable. We're going to share. They're not exclusive in doing that um, by any means, but I think they, like they do an exemplary job of it as a, as a team. Um, but that, that's a great, that's a great point. I'll, I'll, I'll include those uh, that mentioned in the show notes here as we wrap up, but uh, Rob, Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and I'll have to have you on the show again in the future so we can yeah, dissect great. more because cybersecurity is not like a one and done topic. There's a lot more areas to explore, but uh, again, thank you for joining me. It's been a great, great uh, All right. conversation. Thanks, Darren. All right, thanks.